Hey, Joanne, how's it going? Great, great. It's good to be with you, Matt. And you don't look exhausted yet, but we're at the very beginning of the Anthem Film Festival at Freedom Fest in, in Rapid City, South Dakota. That's yeah. right. It starts in an hour and a half. So I was checking out, this is your 10th anniversary, but I was checking out this theater. Uh, tell us about the theater where we're going to see these films. It's a fabulous place. It's one of the oldest movie theaters in the country. I think it's the second oldest continuously showing films. And in fact, I don't know if you noticed when you walked in, over to the left there's an alcove. The projector is the one that they used back in 1913 and they continued using it until 2012. That was when they finally changed over to digital. They would actually take the movies that came to them on digital files and transfer them to film and show their movies on film at this theater until 10 years ago. So it's a great place, 550 seats. Um, it, it looks like the old-timey theater. I love it. And that's, that's, that's like super hardcore. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And the guy who owns it, Kurt Small, he started working there when he was a teenager, came in as kind of a um, manager type oh, when he was 21 and ended up buying it. And he's the one who's done most of the major restoration over the years. He loves this theater, and it really shows. So the Anthem Film Festival has been part of Freedom Fest for 10 years. This is your 10th anniversary. Uh, tell us a little bit about Freedom Fest for people that don't know about it and why we're in Rapid City, South Dakota, because we're normally in Vegas, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so I started the Film Festival in 2011, partly because I wanted something separate to do. Um, Tammy Holland was running Freedom Fest at the time, and she was a very um, hands-on person. Um, and the other thing was I felt like we were doing a great job with politics and history and economics and finance and science and technology. We had an arts and literature track, but we weren't really doing a lot with it. I would give a speech about an author every year, and we would bring in a few people to talk about art and sports and we even had one on bird watching one time um, but I wanted so part of it was to have to have a, a stronger arts component at Freedom Fest but the other was I love film my son's a filmmaker um, I actually took them out of school for a dentist appointment the day that Batman opened so they could all go to the movies with me um, so we're a movie going uh, mother and children. That's Marcus. a righteous reason to skip out. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime we had something. My kids never got the 100% attendance award because there was always something better to do. So, um, and movies were one of them. Um, so I love movies, but I was saddened to see how um, filmmakers who love liberty had to kind of hide that. And if they did a liberty-oriented film, they often used their initials rather than their name and wanted to keep it secret. And I thought, if I created a venue, then they could have the content. And it's worked really well. Um, we have Freedom Fest with over 2,000 people. This year, 2,600 people. Um, so that provided my audience, and, and my filmmakers provided the content, and I just put everything together. And over the years, it has grown in content. The quality of the content has improved. The quantity of the films that I get. Um, so I'm just really, really pleased with what we've done in 10 years. It's kind of funny. You were ahead of the curve um, because I, I remember some of the movies that conservatives and libertarians were trying to make a decade ago, and they were they were so self-aware that it was uh, like being bludgeoned over the head with with like a Mises quote or something. Yeah. And um, and we just weren't very good at it. But but today it's it's um, Anthem is kind of that cutting edge of there's a lot of great storytellers that show. 
So it's our 10th anniversary, and we're bringing back some of our best films from previous years. And one of them is called Everything. Uh, R.J. Daniel Hanna is the director. That was the first film I ever saw of his. And since then, I've had four or five of his films that he's such a humble director. He doesn't, he doesn't splash his name all over, and, and usually it's the organization that gets the credit. But he's a phenomenal director. Um, but the story it was done by Institute for Justice. They took it to the Supreme Court, and it's the story of a mother whose daughter is dying from leukemia, and she needs a bone transplant. And they have found a donor, but and it's a match, but the problem is the donor can't afford the time off from work, and it takes five to six weeks to recover when you donate bone marrow. Um, it's like blood. It regenerates. So it's not like selling a kidney. It, it regenerates. Um, but the mother whose daughter is dying is desperate to get this to get this donation, and the the single mother who is the match wants to do it, but financially she can't afford to do it. She'll lose her job. The mother whose daughter is dying says, "I have five thousand dollars. I'll give this to you. It'll cover all your expenses." But the problem is both of them could go to prison. Yeah. With that exchange, um, you know, I could tell you that story, and intellectually you'd get it. But when you see this story on screen with these phenomenal actresses and the passion that they feel and the trauma that they feel that they can't do this thing together, this good thing that's not going to harm anyone, um, you really feel it. And that's the power of storytelling. Yeah, and I, it took me a long time to realize as an economist that most people don't process information the way that I do. Um, reading all my Austrians and all that stuff. And it's funny, one of the very first things I wrote in college was was trying to explain why the FDA uh, preventing people from, from trying um, various treatments was was bad economics and immoral. And over over the years, I realized that that making that sort of libertarian cost benefit supply and demand kind of argument is is almost like off-putting and offensive to people when it when it comes to that story you just told. Yes. But if you can look that mom in the eye and hear what she's trying to accomplish and what the donor is trying to accomplish. Um, it's another way of explaining the market, right? It is. It is. Because in, in this case, both the buyer and the seller, and it's not really a buyer and seller situation, but the giver and the receiver are both gaining yeah. in this in this case. Um, so, And there's no reason not to because there's no harm. Yeah. There's there's slight risk in, in any any time that you have surgery, uh, but, it, but it regenerates. It's like, yeah. blood. it's like blood. You know, you have a film, All We Have, in our f- festival this year, and there's and it's about the pandemic lockdown and how um, a restaurant owner had to deal with trying to pay his rent, um, keep his employees uh, having some money so that they can pay their rent and all of the trauma that went along with the business. But in the middle of that comes this very poignant story about their son who can't get the medical care he needs because the hospitals aren't accepting people for ordinary care. It's all about COVID. And he dies. Yeah. I mean, there's a story. There's yeah. the most. There's the most poignant story of that whole th- that whole film. And as filmmakers, when you're doing a documentary, you don't know what you're going to get until you get it. Yeah. And and the story is really in the editing. But that moment um, when you realize it's not about numbers. Here's a family, and they've lost not only their business th- that's been in in their family. I think for generations. Yeah. I think they inherited that family, and then they lost their son as well. Yeah. I mean, how outrageous is that? Yeah, no, it, it's funny because uh, me, again, being the economist, I wanted to call that movie Unseen. 
uh, going to the Bastiat thing, the seen mm-hmm. and the unseen consequences of, of public policy. But I'm, I'm proud of that film because it, it makes the, that argument without ever making that argument. Um, the characters tell the story, and it's up for the, the people watching it to figure out why did we let that happen? Why did we let that happen? And I'm so glad you didn't call it unseen, and I'll tell you why. I have another. These guys are happy because <laughs> we, we debated about titles for. It was brutal. Well, let me tell you why I'm glad you didn't do that. I have another film, 33, no, yours is 33, theirs is 28. Anyway, um, on the pandemic lockdown taking place in California, and they interview four business people, and guess what it's called? Unseen. The Unseen. (laughs) So, great title. But, you know, yours is reminiscent of the other film, Everything. How much do you give? All that we have, including our son. Yeah to this COVID policy that it turned out to be a disaster, especially in New York. Yeah, and, and that gets back to like uh, 10 years ago, I think about um, you know, my own journey. I was more political back then, and as an economist, I was definitely focused on translating economics into a more compelling explainer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, know, you, you, were, you were trying to do this before any of us figured this stuff out. And now, now there is this vast open market space because of technology for compelling stories. But it has to be, it, it can't be ideological. It's not, um, it's, it's not only not a, a, a compelling piece of art if it's just about ideology. Um, today, you get censored for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was uh, showing Little Pink House at Porkfest. I, I took the best of the fest as part of our 10th anniversary to Porkfest this year and brought back a lot of our, our films that we've, we've had before. Little Pink House is like that, where um, it doesn't matter. There's no Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. There's no politics in that at all. It's just so self-evident when you see that story that taking someone's home against their will, doesn't matter what your reason is, it's wrong. And especially if it's just for taxes. I, I, I mean, what's more money-grubbing than that? Um, so when you, when you see her story, then you get it. And, it, and. and it doesn't hit you over the head. And it isn't, yes, it's a libertarian story, but we never say that. Yeah. And that's one reason that it had legs and did really well at the box office. So let's, uh, let's talk about you for a second because it's relevant to what we're talking about. Because I want to talk about storytelling and hopefully uh, young people watching this and convince them that they, they don't have to be quoting Murray Rothbard all the time. There's right. nothing wrong with quoting Murray Rothbard, but that's, there's, there's more to it than that. But you're, you're a, a, a writing professor. Give us a little bit of your, your other job. Right, so I teach English literature and composition. Um, I've taught at Rollins College in Florida. I taught for 12 years at Sing Sing Correctional Facility in New York, and I'm teaching at Chapman University, and it's mostly a poetry class, but I broaden it because it satisfies their artistic inquiry um, uh, component that's a general ed requirement. So I bring in film and visual arts and drama as well as poetry when we do that because it's all about critical thinking and it's all about the different tools that we use for expression. I think film and poetry have a lot more in common than poetry and novels or film and novels because both use these tools to to create really dense dense meaning through symbolism, through emotion, by touching the emotion, then you feel the story. So I do bring a lot of that in. Um, So I I teach composition and writing, um, 
but mostly I want them to tell a story, um, even in an essay, even when you're writing an essay that's not fiction, um, if you tell a personal story, now I get it. Now I understand where you're coming from because I can feel your passion, I can feel your sorrow, I can feel your joy. Um, and that's part of the story. So you came, you came at your libertarianism through literature? Is that fair to say? No. <laughs> Uh, my husband and I met when I was 18 years old, and he was 24, um, and he was finishing up his master's degree, and I was just starting. I was a freshman, and um, I had grown up kind of a social democrat. My parents didn't talk about politics very much, but they were really of the opinion that the government ought to take care of everything, and so I thought it could too. I just thought the government could just print money and take care of everything. Um, and so we, does our current government, by the way. I know, I know. And the, we were out on our first date, and I, and he started talking to me about economic principles because he's like you, you know. That's what everything is: economic principles. And when he explained the free market to me, it just made perfect sense because. I was motivated by by money. I worked so that I could gain money, and I saved so I could get things in the future. I was a little budding capitalist. I just didn't know it. And the free market made such perfect sense to me. And he was probably the smartest man I'd ever dated and the most intellectually curious person. And so I quit school and married him. Uh, so we've been together ever since, and we've been writing books and articles together ever since. We're a lot like you and Terry in that we have this really strong partnership yeah. um, that almost transcends the marriage because we're so intellectually in tune with each other. Um, we don't agree on everything. In fact, he often says, why would anyone go to a movie when they could come hear a lecture? And I say, why would anyone go to a lecture when they could come see a movie? But, but in the end, we both are um, promoting the same, the same ideas of liberty. Well, it's kind of a, um, I forget who used the phrase intellectual structure production. And I'll say it here, even though no one knows what the hell that means. But um, the, the ideas still matter. And the philosophy matters, and the economics matters, and, and, and explaining those policies as simply as possible still matters. But um, unless and until we, we connect with a much broader audience that doesn't consume any of that stuff, mm -hmm. and that's most people, um, we're not going to get the job done. But you can't, you can't actually tell an emotionally compelling story unless you have sort of a, a philosophical basis to sort through um, what's the right story. Yeah. Well, and your slogan that you guys have hit on is perfect. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. It, it's the golden rule that, that exists in so many different philosophies in different ways. But don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. You can take that principle and apply it to almost any political or moral judgment and and there's your answer you don't have one of the things I loved about Reagan was he had that underlying philosophy so he didn't have to really think about every every law every every policy because he had that principle and even if a policy was going to have a short-term um, problem it was going to be costly in the short term he knew that in the long run it would be the best thing to do so maybe it would put people out of work temporarily but because of his principles in the long term there would be massive increases in the economy and and more and better jobs so when you have that foundational principle you can make the right judgments don't hurt people don't take their stuff 
You know, yeah. how easy is that? And it's not libertarian. It's not, not, it's not Democrat. It's not Republican. How can anyone object to that unless they're a communist? And that's really how you can see who are the bad guys because they do want to take your stuff and they do want to hurt certain people. Yeah. It's uh, funny. The Foundation for Economic... I'm going to brag about that saying. The Foundation for Economic Education was funded by Templeton to do this massive uh, research set on messaging. And that phrase not only worked better for libertarians, it actually worked better for progressives. And my, my, buddies, uh, my buddy who is a progressive, he was at, at one of the big Black Lives Matter marches in D.C., but he loves that shirt, don't hurt people and don't take their yeah. stuff. And he wore it to this, to this massive event, and he said, I've never been stopped by so many people complimenting my shirt. That's and great. I'm like, that's because that's what your mom told you. Like, yeah. this isn't radical. This is just yeah. common sense. And mom stole it from her mom. And, and this is how these, these, these values that we call libertarians just evolved naturally as people figured out how to cooperate. Yeah. And, and the progressive moms of today who are really wonderful, I love seeing how, how patient and, and conversational parenting is today, that you talk nicely to your kids. Um, but when they say, be kind... That's the same thing. Don't right. hurt people and don't take your stuff. And it's nice if you want to share, to share. But yeah. you don't have to. I think. Don't I think take it's, your brother's toys. Yeah, unless you ask first. And yeah. maybe the better thing would be to say, you can play with my teddy bear if I can play with your truck. Yeah. You know, it, it's free exchange and yeah. everybody wins. So talk about the, uh, the evolution over the last 10 years because I, I think I have attended every year in the last 10 years and perhaps... I don't know how many before Anthem even started, but the quality across the board and the number of organizations and filmmakers, um, it's an explosion. It is an explosion. And, and I like to think maybe I was a part of that. Um, we started in 2011 on the 26th floor of Valley's and hardly anyone could find us. It took 15 minutes to get there, not unlike it is this year trying to get to the Elks Theater. Um, so I'm crossing my fingers, people will make that effort. And I just advertised on Without a Box, and I received some films, and some of them turned out to be really good, and some of them were okay, and I had a festival. Um, that's where I met Bob Bowden. Bob Bowden uh, won the first grand prize with the cartel, and he's become a great friend of Freedom Fest and School Choice, which I find so interesting. He doesn't have children, and yet his whole focus in life is choice media and, and school alternatives, school choice alternatives. So we're bringing his film back as part of the festival because it was our first grand prize winner. But um, So there were a few really, really good films, and then there were some okay films. Jason Rink, who some of you might know, um, was uh, at that first festival, and he left saying, I can make a movie, and, he, and I'm going to come back next year, and I'm going to have a movie in that festival. And he did, and it won Best Libertarian Ideals. It was uh, the one on nullification, yeah. jury nullification. Yeah. Um, and he's become a dynamite filmmaker over the years, and I can't help but think that getting into a festival and getting an award in that festival helped him in his next movies because as a festival director, I know that that influences me. When I see that a film that's submitted has had, had awards or has been accepted at festivals I respect, I give it a little closer of a watch uh, because I know someone else has valued it. 
Um, so I think it really helps when you have that laurel um, on your credential. Um, and then that second year, uh, Ayn Rand Institute had a film. And a couple of years later, you guys were, were submitting films. And pretty soon, I have this huge cadre of think tank organizations who used to be doing pamphlets and books, and now they're doing movies. Yeah, yeah. And I just think movies have that power to change your heart, which changes your mind. And reading a book might take several hours. You can see a great film in 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, part of our strategy, um, I'm not necessarily looking to build the ultimate storytelling machine. I'm wanting to show other people who are more capable than, than we are how this might work better mm -hmm. than just writing a white paper. I, I've had a burning, as someone that's written many white papers, I have sort of a burning dislike for white papers because surely they're all written by now. <laughs> Do we, yeah. need, do we need another one? Here's the biggest problem about white papers and publishing in general. And that is that in order to get a dissertation, in order to get a PhD, you have to write a dissertation on a topic that hasn't been written before, right? And so that means that everyone just keeps getting further and further and further out on the fringes, and then they end up being the professors yeah. who are now teaching that fringe idea that got them a PhD, but isn't really what we need to be learning. And so we end up with... with this crazy stuff that's going on in colleges today yeah. because of that. But we just want to keep retelling the same story in a different way. Yeah. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Or um, if you run into an obstacle, fix it yourself. Those are the best libertarian heroes. They don't have to be set in dystopian futures, and they don't necessarily need to be taking on the, go the, the government. They just need to be fixing things themselves. One of my favorite libertarian movies that didn't know it was a libertarian movie was um, Jennifer Lawrence's uh, film Winter's Bone. Here she is, this girl out in the sticks, just trying to save her family home for herself and her little siblings. Her mother is, is just maxed out on, on meth. The father has disappeared, and they have to find either him or his body it's because otherwise they're going to lose the bail money, and that means losing the farm. And she just does everything herself. And it, at one point, she says to her uh, brother and sister, uh, do you guys want to eat? And they said yes. And she said, well, then you better come here and cook it. You know, I, yeah. she, teaching them to do as much as they can for themselves. Love that film. You know, my, uh, I tell this story all the time, but my, my gateway drug was a rock album that referenced Ayn Rand, who was a novelist. And so I went from listening to Rush in 2112 to reading Anthem, and it was accidental back then. You, didn't, you couldn't Google it. You just had to stumble across that. And so my, my path to economics was actually creative and artistic and, and story. She was a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And you just described an Ayn Rand story. You know? Yes, yeah. exactly. You fix it yourself. You get help from your neighbors or your community or your family for the things you absolutely can't do yourself. In that movie, uh, a neighbor brings over um, a quarter of a deer and hands it to her and says, I figured you could use this. But she doesn't cook it for her. She just brings her the raw meat because that's as much as she needed. She can do everything else herself. Yeah. Love that movie. So um, let, let's wrap up because I know you got films coming up almost immediately. Um, if people want to check out some of the films that have won at Anthem, is there, is there a portal for that? Like, how would people find these things? That's a good question. Um, uh, we have festival films, so of course they aren't available um, 
on the market yet. They're not, they're not out. Most of them are not out in, in cinemas. Some of them, because of the streaming devices, some of them are on Netflix or Amazon, or they can get them on your website, which I don't like to say before the festival because I want them to come see it in the theater. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the end of the festival, I always contact the filmmakers and I'll say, now how can our, um, how can our followers see your movie? And then I'll post that on my website for all the films. So, you, uh, so after the festival, you can go to anthemfilmfestival.com and then go to the awards tab and you can find the films. And if they are available somewhere, you'll find it. They might be for purchase. They might be at a think tank website. They might be um, on Amazon Prime or Netflix. But I post those and try to keep those updated. And if people, people can't come to South Dakota if they're not already here, but if people want to come check out Anthem or Freedom Fest next year, how do they find out about that? You can go to anthemfilmfestival.com to learn about the films, and you can also go to freedomfest.com, um, and, uh, and it will take you to Anthem as well. Anthem is part of Freedom Fest, so if you come to Freedom Fest, that's your ticket to the the festival. You can also get just a film lover's pass. If all you want to do is watch movies, and I love when people do, uh, you can get a film lover's pass for a huge discount and, and just watch movies with us the whole time. We've loved our time in Rapid City. We had to come here because Governor Sisolak, at the very last minute last year, 10 days before we were supposed to start, and we had satisfied every every requirement mandated for masking and social distancing we even had to stagger our schedule so that everybody wasn't spilling out into the halls at the same time we ended up with three different main stages so there wouldn't be more than 250 people in each room we did everything and at the last minute he said you know i think we won't allow more than 49 people per event per event even though the casinos were full of hundreds of people right next to the conference center so that was that. But then Governor Nome sent out that video that she she was showing on TV, uh, come to South Dakota, we're open. Yeah. And we took her at her word and we came and um, it's been a great experience. We This is our biggest turnout ever, 2,600 people and counting at this point. So people were hungry, hungry for uh, liberty-oriented conferencing and they're here and we've technically sold out. There are no more hotels. There are no more rental cars. There are no more planes coming in. So we are technically sold out, but we're really happy to be here. So the vibe is super cool because particularly this year, because of that experience last year and, and everybody's disappointment and sort of the arbitrary and punitive nature mm -hmm. of the governor of And there's Nevada. just such a sense of camaraderie. Our uh, Freedom Fest community Facebook page has just been rocking this last month as people have been saying where are you coming from and where are you staying and let's get together for cigars and and who's here and who's going on so it's been a really wonderful community feeling even before we started okay let's get out there all Thank right you. thanks that was amazing where can i get more content just like that it's a great question you're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content make sure to like the video subscribe and click the bell and if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in. Kibbe on Liberty, honest conversations with interesting people.